0: father, He's assigned to the seminary, but he's the house father here. So he lives with 12 seminarians uh, across our parking lot there, and um, I've been trying to guilt him in for quite some time to come join me for Mass, and he finally relented and accepted today. So uh, it's great to have him here with us. Uh, just one brief encouragement about the ACA, the Archbishop's Catholic Appeal. Of course, you have your brochures in the pews there. Uh, next weekend is the second collection. Feel free to take it home, pray with it. Uh, there's different ways to d- divide up our tithe. Tithe meaning 10% that we give. Uh, the Archbishop suggests that we give 2% to the ACA. That's what I personally do. Uh, maybe you could do the same, right? We don't always give to maybe Annunciation Heights or uh, pro-life ministries in the diocese, but when we give to the ACA, it's distributed amongst um, Those different apostolates and parishes and and schools and whatnot in the archdiocese that need your support. So, uh, possibly 2%, but the encouragement to take that home and be generous next week in our second collection. Today, uh, in our gospel, right, we hear from uh, Luke's gospel, from the road to Emmaus, a very powerful gospel. And just uh, one brief note about it, uh, it's one of my favorite gospels, The road to Emmaus is a very Eucharistic gospel. We're in the heart of the Eucharistic revival right now, uh, so I won't preach about the Eucharist today. That will be coming uh, in the next year when we really launch the parish phase of uh, the Eucharistic revival. But this gospel is so powerful with regards to the Eucharist. Just a few days, uh, or I should say the day of, this is Easter Sunday, uh, it's the Mass. We're meant to see this as the Mass. First, we have uh, the liturgy of the word. Jesus comes and he reveals himself in the readings, in the scriptures. And then he stays with them a little bit longer. And then you have, he takes the bread, he gives thanks, he breaks it. And then they see him where? In the breaking of the bread. It's Eucharistic, it's the mass. And it's such a powerful reading, I encourage you maybe to pray with it, to meditate on it. How is this related to the mass? When I was in college seminary, I loved, uh, we went to college seminary in Minnesota. and I loved to take uh, some of the other guys home who weren't from Denver uh, because, right, Denver's the best diocese and the best place ever. Uh, and so uh, after one of the years, I think my first or second year, uh, May, we get through the school year, and I invite two guys out to come to Colorado. It was uh, May. Snow still in the mountains, but I said, we should hike a 14er, right? Well, these two guys, these two guys were from the Archdiocese of Omaha, so they don't know uh, what the mountains are like. They don't know what these things are like, and uh, I was so excited. I was uh, first beginning um, kind of leading trips. I hadn't had a lot of success leading trips or a lot of experience, I should say. Uh, I'd been on plenty backpacking trips. I'd been on plenty 14ers, but I was never the guide. I was never the leader. And so I just kind of trusted, oh, yeah, things will, will always go to plan, right? Um, so I said, well, let's go climb Mount Quandary. It's, it's a peak that you could possibly do in May, even though there's snow. We'll get some snowshoes. It'll be great. So we get up early. Uh, you know, we start before the sun is up. It's dark. Get to the parking lot, and we put on you know, our boots, our, our snowshoes, and we just start walking. And we're walking, and we're walking. And I just, I, I keep thinking to myself, we are not climbing any elevation right now. Uh, And we should write any 14 or you start hiking up pretty quickly. The sun finally comes out and I look up and I realize we are way over here and the peak that we need to be on is way over there. (laughs) So we had gone the wrong way, right? Uh, And so I look up and I said, well, we can either go back, go back the two miles or however far we've gone and climb up the standard route and, and figure it out. Of course, we're adding at that point, probably four miles or we could just climb the side of this mountain and go straight up in the snowfields. So they kind of looked at me and, you know, that probably wasn't the best option for two people from Omaha. Uh, And so I said, well, there's also a third option. We could just go get some beer and burgers in town. So uh, that's of course what we wound up doing. Um, Right, so this image, uh, have you ever been off course? Have you ever gone the wrong way? A pilot friend of mine was, was telling me, whenever you're in a plane and you just, you're just one degree off course from your, your launch, just one degree off course, over the course of 60 miles, you'll be one mile from your destination. Just one degree off course. So pilots, right, who are flying hundreds, maybe even thousands of miles, if you're just one degree off course, you're going to be hundreds of miles from your destination. Where are we going? Where are we going? What is our destination? I use this image because our road to Emmaus is very fascinating. They're going to Emmaus, obviously, but where are they coming from? This is Easter Sunday. That very day, the two of them, this is a married couple, were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. See, Luke's gospel is all about Jerusalem. It's the climax. It's everything that happens. In fact, in Luke chapter 9, just a few chapters before, uh, Luke gives us this climax. It's it's the turning point of his gospel. Everything happens in Nazareth up to this point. In Galilee, Jesus performs these miracles. Uh, This is right before, uh, right after the um, transfiguration. The transfiguration happens. Jesus goes up the high mountain, and this is what Luke tells us next. When the days drew near for him to be received up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. Jesus sets his face towards Jerusalem. Everything becomes about Jerusalem. And then the very last chapter, Luke 24, this married couple, they were in Jerusalem for all these events. They saw the crucifixion, the burial, the death, They probably heard maybe even about the Last Supper and these different things. And then they run away. They run away. They walk away from Jerusalem. And Jesus encounters them. Why are you looking sad? Why are you downcast? Where are you going? And they say, Have you not heard of the things that happened? What things? Jesus in his kind of naivete in a sense. What things? And they said to him concerning Jesus of Nazareth. How he was a mighty prophet. How he did all these different things. How he performed these miracles. How he was crucified and died. And then they say this. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. We had hoped. That's past tense. That means they're no longer hoping. We had hoped that he'd be the one to redeem Israel, but we don't know if he is anymore. They've crucified him. And despite that, certainly we've heard this testimony that some of those who were with us, some of these women went to the tomb and found that he was not there. But we don't believe that, which is why we're walking away. This has always has meant to be an image for us in many ways. Maybe we who doubt at times, we who struggle to believe in the church, we who struggle to believe in you at times, Jesus, so we walk away. Maybe we take a step away from Jesus. We're not heading towards Jerusalem. We walk against him. We walk away from him. Brothers and sisters, just very reverently, have we been there? Are we there now? Are you walking closer to Jesus, or are you walking away from him? Despite the fact that they are walking away, Jesus still chooses to encounter them. What was lost has been found. Jesus leaves the 99 to go after that one lost sheep. No matter how much we may try to, or how much we struggle and how much we try to run away, Jesus will always pursue us. He's always following after us. He's always desiring to reveal himself more and more to us. So that's the first point for today. Just that simple question. Where are you going? Are you on the right track? Are you walking closer towards Jesus or are you walking away from him? The second point for today is this idea of hope, but we had hoped. Is your hope in the past tense or do you hope now? Easter is the season of hope. Artists, which uh, I am not much of an artist, um, but whenever they're asked to draw certain things, right, it, it comes alive when artists have been asked to draw hope. If you were asked to draw hope, what would you draw? As I'm sure most of you know, right, the image of hope that's often uh, portrayed, often used, is an anchor. A ship's anchor. Now, I don't know much about uh, boats. I, I don't particularly like the ocean. I don't particularly like the beach. Father Brian, on the other hand, you can ask him these questions. He loves the ocean. He loves the beach. I haven't spent too much time on those things. But I do know, right, when you're sailing... When you need to get to a destination and then you need to, to park your boat somewhere or put it in a place, you drop that anchor. That even despite the waves that may come, that, that boat that might rock with the waves, it's still not going to go far because it's anchored down into the earth. The storms of life that might pass, by, might pass by We're still anchored down into something. That's the image of Christian hope. And no matter what happens, no matter what is kind of going against us, we're anchored into something. Where is your hope? I think one of the best ways to explain hope is maybe to think about what hope is not. The two extremes of hope. The first one would be despair. Lord, I don't know... If I can believe this, I don't know that you're actually raised from the dead. I don't know, just like this married couple. I used to hope, but I no longer have hope. Maybe when I was a child, I used to hope in you, that things would get better. But now that I'm an adult, I don't see things getting better. I struggle. Despite my my begging, despite my prayers, I don't find things getting better. So I fall into despair. God, you can't help me with this. I've struggled with the same sins over and over again, and I despair. I lose hope. Despair is not Christian hope. The opposite of despair is presumption. That I just presume that everything is going to be okay. That despite my sins, it's okay. God will forgive me tomorrow in confession. So I commit the same sins over and over again because I know I can just hop on over to the priest in confession and everything's going to be okay. Certainly, there's a good in the sense of like, yes, I, I trust in God's mercy, but if it's not rooted in authentic reality, and authentic Christian hope, I just assume God will forever forgive me. It actually causes me to be more lazy, to sin more because I just presume that everything will happen, everything will be okay, that he will forgive me. Presumption is not true, authentic hope. True, authentic hope is like that anchor rooted in Jesus Christ. You see, hope is that desire within us, the desires of good, the greatest good who is God. And oftentimes, hope has this idea that it's hard, it's arduous, it's difficult. And if we're honest, God is very difficult to obtain. But Christian hope roots us in to say, God, I desire you. You're hard to obtain. I desire to obtain heaven. I desire to to go to heaven. But I need you. I need help. I need help in my sins. I need help in my life. I need help so I don't walk away from you. That I might walk all the more closer to you. Brothers and sisters, as we turn towards the Eucharist, towards the Lord today, He is our hope. Jesus, we surrender our trust in you today. We hope in you. And we ask that through this hope, You might draw us ever closer to yourself that we would walk all the more closer to you not away from you and as we hope in this eucharistic miracle that's about to happen in jesus we ask that we might encounter you and see you in the breaking of the bread